I hope that as we're singing these songs this morning, that they're not just words coming out of your mouth, that something in your heart is moving. That something in your heart is, is kind of leaping because you know that the stuff you've been singing, the words that have been coming out of your mouth all morning long are real. And they're not just songs that you sing. And they're not just words that we recite. I'm afraid that sometimes we forget how great Jesus is. And so all we're going to focus on, all we have focused on up until this point, and all we're going to keep focusing on the rest of our time together this morning is Jesus. How big and how huge and how great He is. And while you're standing right there for just a second, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you that's not, not in your bulletin, but it's from the first chapter of Colossians. And Paul is writing, and I want us to just remember who Jesus is. And if you're here this morning and you've been singing these songs, and, and, and you're just kind of singing the songs because you know the words and that's it, I just want to remind us. I want God's Word to remind us this morning of who we're singing about and who He is. And I want to start with verse 13. It says that, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness... And brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are a rescued people. And if you're a rescued person, that means that at some point in your life, you were not able to save yourself. At some point, you were desperate and you had no power at all to do anything for yourself. You needed somebody to rescue you. And if we were to think of a raging river, it would be you you weren't drowning in a river heading for a waterfall and you decided you wanted to swim out of the river and meet Jesus on the bank. That's not what Jesus has done. What Jesus has done is dove into the river, fought the current of death and hell and sin, and dragged your almost lifeless body out of the river and breathe life back into you. That's what that verse talks about. That's what that verse means. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That means if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God sounds like, listen to Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about things, ask Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. That means that Jesus was a part of the creation process from the very beginning. And the words of Jesus spoken brought the universe into creation. And not only that, a little phrase that maybe we miss sometimes. It says, not only were all things created by him, but for him. Do you realize that when he made you, he made you for himself? That you were created for his pleasure. He didn't make you because he had to. 
He created you and molded you into the person you are because it brought him joy. It brought him happiness. And you were created for him. Jesus was thrilled when he made you because he made you for himself. Let's keep going. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know what that implies? That things can fall apart. Because they can, can't they? Our lives can fall apart. Our plans can fall apart. Our circumstances can fall apart. But in Jesus, it says, all things hold together. He's the glue. That anything in your life that is together right now, it's not because of us. It's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. Because in him, all things hold together. Look at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There were people who Jesus raised from the dead before he rose, before the Father rose him from the dead, but those people that he raised from the dead, they were going to die again. But not Jesus. Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. That means he is the first one to be raised to life eternally. Never to die again. And all of these things that, that verse 13 all the way up until now say. It says that all of these things he did at the end of verse 18. So that he might have the supremacy. Supremacy. You know what that means? That means top. That means first place. And all of these things that he has done is so he could have the supremacy. Not us. Not our plans, not anything that we do. But, but him. Jesus is not the one that we are supposed to carry around in our pocket. And when things get bad in life, we pull him out so that he can fix it. That's not what that verse says. That's not the Jesus that we're singing about. That's not the Jesus that Colossians 1 talks about. He's, this is a Jesus who is supreme over all things. And then verse 19 and 20. says, for God was pleased. He was joyful. He was thrilled to have all his fullness dwell in him. Let's replace that pronoun with Jesus. To have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. <laughs> that is the gospel. And if we've forgotten that this morning, I want us to remember or maybe you're here this morning and you don't, you don't even know that. You didn't know that. I want this to be the morning that you hear it and get it. Jesus, we, were, we are prisoners without Jesus. We are dead without Jesus. We are hopeless without Jesus. So what I want us to do now, while you're still standing up, we're going to continue to worship. And we're going to sing a song that echoes everything that Paul has said in Galatians 1. That echoes that. And Kevin is going to lead us. And we're going to continue to worship for just a little bit longer.
And then we're going to get into the text that we're going to look at uh, this morning. So I want you to sing this next song like you know it. I want you to sing it like your heart knows it. And I want you to worship because you know what you're singing is true. And it's not a story that anybody has made up. It's a story that's making us. So let's sing this together. Kevin's going to lead us, and we're going to sing and worship Jesus for who he is, the God of the ages. We bless you, Lord, God of the ages, highest of all, we magnify you. Help us to see you for who you really are this morning, not for who we make you to be. Let your word continue to speak to us. May your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. 
And may we respond. May we listen. May we do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. And we pray these things this morning in Jesus, the only name that we can pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. There's a very interesting story in John chapter 5, and that's where we're going to take, I want you to turn to now. We're going to look at John chapter 5, and there's an amazing story that I want to tell, that Scripture is going to tell us, and I want to talk, I want us to just talk through this story and let it help us understand what God has already said to us. John chapter 5, verse 1, begins this way. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here a great number of the disabled great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame the paralyzed now you may notice in your bible depending on what translation you have you may not see a verse 4 there or you may see a verse 4 and there may be a bracket around it the reason for that is that there's some extra information that was added after John wrote his gospel that some translations chose to include with brackets, some translations chose to leave it out. But it's some extra information that was added after John had completed the inspired, written Gospel of John. And it gives us a little bit of clarification as to why all of these sick people were laying around this gate, um, around this particular pool. And the story was that with this pool, this pool of Bethesda had become a place of great hope for people who had fallen victim to diseases, sicknesses, the blind, the lame. And people gathered there. The, the, the tradition was that an angel would come down from time to time and would stir the waters of the pool. And when the waters of the pool were stirred, the first person to get into the water would be healed of whatever sickness that they suffered from. Now, whatever the cause for the stirring of the water was, most people believe that it came from God. Uh, some historians who study it would say that, um, will tell you that the Pool of Bethesda was built over an area that had lots of natural mineral springs and that that could explain the movement of the water at times. That... Um, and that those waters actually contain mineral deposits that would have had a great medicinal value to people who were sick. And so, for whatever the reason, this pool was a place where people came because they had hope that if they could get here, and they could be the first one into the water, that they would be healed of whatever their sickness or disease that they suffered from was. Let's look at verse 5. Continue. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, does that sound like a weird question to anybody besides me? Here's a guy who has been sick for 38 years. And he is camped out at the pool of Bethesda 
with likely hundreds of other people who suffered from various diseases. And he came here every day. Some would, some would say that he suffered from some sort of debilitating disease that made it hard for him to walk. Because he would come and he brought a mat with him and he would lay on the mat by the pool and just wait as all the other people would. You wonder, why did Jesus ask him? I mean, that's like a duh, Jesus. <laughs> why are you asking if you want to be made well? Well, I, I want us to get into the head of the man for a minute. The text doesn't tell us how long he'd been coming to the pool. It just tells us that he'd been sick for 38 years. I can imagine the first time he heard about the pool. The first time somebody came and told him that the pool of Bethesda was a place he could... He might could be healed. What do you mean I could be healed? Well, an angel comes from time to time and he'll and the angel will stir the waters. And if you're the first one in the water, then you're you're cured. Can you imagine how excited he would have been? You're kidding me. I can go down there and if I can just be the first one in the water, I I, I won't be this way anymore. Of course. So you can imagine how quickly he would have gotten his stuff together. And gone down to camp out by the pool. And he's there. And he probably spent time along the way. He probably talked to everybody he could talk to. That had seen people come to the pool. And said tell me about this pool. I want to know about what happens. I want you to tell me about what other people. Have experienced there. And he probably heard stories and stories. And then he went to the pool and he camped out. And that first time he saw the water move. Maybe he just kind of stood back and watched. And said I want to see what happens. And somebody was the first one to jump in and they jump out and they say, I feel so much better. I almost feel like I'm cured completely. And he watches that and he goes, wow, that's what I want. I'm going to be ready. Maybe he had some people at the beginning that could help him. Um, and he's there. And, that's, and, and so we hear Jesus Say, do you want to be made well? Well, we would expect the man to say, of course I want to be well. Why do you think I'm here? I want to be normal again. I want, I want to be with my family. I want to play with my kids. I want to be able to love my wife. I want to go back to my job that I've lost. I want to be able to provide for my family. Of course I want to be well. But let's look at verse 7. Interestingly enough, That's not what he says. Look at verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Of course he wants to be whole. Of course he wants to be healed. But something's happened over the years of him being at the pool. He's lost his hope. Think about all the people that were gathered at the pool. Okay, if this guy had a disease that made it difficult for him to move around and get from place to place, what kind of chance did he have to be the first one in the water, really? And you think about all the hundreds of people that would have been gathered waiting for this one chance to be the one person to get in the water when it stirred. Nobody knows when the water is going to be stirred. wonder how many of them left hoping that the water wouldn't be stirred and they came back to find out that somebody else got in before them while they were gone. What about, what about the blind people who were there? 
I mean, when are they going to know when to get in the water? They, they have to listen. They have to listen for the waters to bubble and stir, to know that it's time. And then by the time they find somebody to help lead them, to get them into the water, somebody else has beat them there already. Well, here's a guy who obviously had a hard time getting in the water. He'd been sick for 38 years. If he had been good at getting in the water, he wouldn't still be laying there. Maybe at the beginning he had people who could help him, who came and said, yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you get in the water. We'll, we'll stay here with you, and when the water stirred, we'll grab you up and run and put you in the water. Maybe that was true for the first two, three, four, five times. And then maybe eventually those people started to say, you know what, man, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta leave. I gotta go. My family's waiting on me. I can't, I can't camp out here with you 24-7. And every time he would hear and see the water stirred and he, he, would, he would try to move his, his body to get to the water, somebody else would get in first. I wonder how many times he might have been the second one in the water. What would that have been like? Maybe you jump, Maybe he had jumped in a several times thinking, I did it. I'm, I, I, I think I'm the first one. I think it's going to happen. And then only to hear across the pool on the other side, somebody else jump out yelling and screaming and rejoicing. And he's sitting in the pool and he feels the same. And he's, it's obviously hard for him to move around. Getting into the pool is a lot easier than getting out of the pool. So now he has to figure out a way to get out and go back to his mat and keep waiting. You can see how over a period of time he would have lost his, his hope. And I think eventually he came to say to himself, well, what's the use? And I think what had happened to this man was even his very desire to be healed began to leave him. He didn't even care if he was going to get made well anymore or not. And Jesus, being the king and ruler of the universe, knew this guy's heart. And so after he'd been laying there for maybe years, and after all of his hope of getting in the water had gone and everybody he ever depended on to help him had left, here comes Jesus. And he goes to this guy. And he asks him a question. And he says, do you, you want to be well? And this guy doesn't even have enough hope to say, yeah. He just says, well, you see, every time the water stirred, somebody else gets in ahead of me. I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. So I just sit here. This guy didn't know who Jesus was. <laughs> he didn't know that this man who walked up and asked him this question, that he might have been asked several times by lots of different people. He didn't know that Jesus was the God of the ages. He didn't know that Jesus was the rescuer. He didn't know that Jesus had created him. <laughs> he didn't know this. So this was his reply. Look at verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, 
the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. Hello? Have we been in Sunday school too long? 38 years. And Jesus' words, get up, pick that mat up, and walk around this place and let people see you. I want everybody in this, every lame person in this place to see you walking around. And immediately, he gets up, and he picks up his mat, and he starts walking. Does that not make anybody excited a little bit? (laughs) He doesn't know who Jesus is. Even at this point, he doesn't really know who Jesus is. But this Jesus guy does something that's pretty amazing, that nobody that he's ever asked for help in his entire life, in his entire time of being at the pool, has ever been able to do for him. Can you imagine how this guy feels? And the joy, and if, we, and if you continue to read the story, it's, it's funny because everybody gets really ticked off at Jesus. The Pharisees get really mad at him, and they start blaming him, saying that you, you've healed this man on the Sabbath, and you've told him to pick his mat up and walk. Well, that's unlawful. You're not supposed to carry your mat from one dwelling place to another on the Sabbath. Don't you know that, Jesus? And Jesus is the king of the universe, and he's kind of looking at him going, are, are you, really, guys? Seriously. This Jesus in this story, that's, this is the Jesus we've been singing about all morning. This is him. And this isn't just a story somebody made up. This is real. This really happened. This is the Jesus that that passage in Colossians 1 that we read earlier. This is the Jesus that's talking about. This is the Jesus who made everything that's been made. The creator of the universe. I love this story because it's the creator of everything. He walks into this place full of broken people. And all of these... uh, Do you ever wonder why Jesus chose to just heal this one guy? Does Jesus have the power to just raise everybody that's laying there up? Of course he does. So we don't know exactly why Jesus chooses just to heal this one guy. But we do know that Jesus chose the time and place for his miracles in order to reveal the glory of the Father, first of all, and then to reveal himself as the Son of God, the God-man sent by the Father. And so he chose his miracles carefully and he chose to do them in places that would get big stories this guy who had been here for 38 years everybody knew this guy i think maybe that's why jesus chose him because he wanted this guy to be the one to get up and walk around and wanted everybody to see what he had done this story was big and so it would have gone everywhere everybody would have heard about this man um And, and this guy doesn't even really know who Jesus is at this point. Later on, he finds out. But this story in John 5, 
along with all the other stories of the miracles and the things that Jesus did. That's, this is what makes Jesus like no other. We have sang this morning, Lord, there is none like you, right? This is what makes Jesus unlike anybody else. Jesus didn't use the waters in the pool because he didn't need them. He didn't need them. Could Jesus have gone up to this guy and he says, well, I don't have anybody to help me in the pool. Everybody gets in before I do. Jesus could have said, well, you know what? I know the angel that comes down and stirs the waters. And if you scoot on over there and you get right next to the water, when I know he's coming, I'll give you a wink. And you just roll on into the water and you'll be the first one in. Or Jesus could have said, you know what, I'm a, I'm a carpenter. Jesus was buff, y'all. And I'm a carpenter and I'm strong. And why don't I just pick you up and I will carry you over to the edge of the pool and I will hold you over the water. And as soon as the water starts to stir, I'll just drop you in and you'll be the first one in. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. You know why? Because he didn't need to. He didn't need the water in the pool to make the man well. He didn't need an angel to come and stir the waters. He didn't need to pick the man up and put him over the water and drop him into the water. All Jesus had to do was say the word. And it was done. That's why I read Colossians 1 to you. This is the story... Jesus in this story is walking around in human flesh. The same Jesus that Colossians said God was pleased for the fullness of himself to be in Jesus. That's a great story, isn't it? Now, you may be thinking, why did you why have you got a title called Third String Jesus? That doesn't really make sense. Well, I want you to think about the guy in the story for a minute. The first thing that he depended on was himself. He depended on his ability to make it to this pool, to get there. And when the water stirred, if he could just get himself in the water, he would be okay. He could take care of what was wrong with him. Well, when he got there, and he tried that a few times, and he figured out that that didn't work, the second thing he relied on was other people. He waited for somebody else. He had to get somebody else to help him, to pick him up, to help him move, to get him into the water. And we know that because of the short reply that Jesus, when Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He shows who he had been dependent on. The two things. The water in the pool and the people that he needed to help him get in the pool. So at the very best, he was, Jesus was the third option. When he had figured out that his first two options were getting him nowhere, he lost his hope. And when Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He couldn't even say yes. But Jesus... What makes Jesus the God of the ages in this story is that he breaks into this man's hopelessness and he gives him what he thinks he can never have. 
He is to the point of desperation where he thinks, what I need and what I want, I'm never going to get. And Jesus, the creator of all things, king of the universe, walks in and says, I I can give you what you need. I can give you what you've been working so hard for all these years trying to get. If you'll just believe. But to this man, Jesus was almost a final option. And I'm afraid that too many of us have done the same thing with Jesus. I'm afraid that too many of us have made Jesus third string. Because who is the first person that we rely on when we have a need and we need something to happen in our life? Ourself. You know what I'm talking about. How many times have you heard somebody say, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. That's who we, we are. We are. We are hung up in our pride so much that when we have a need, we so much want to be able to fix it ourselves. And sometimes that works. More times it doesn't. So after we try on our own to fix it and that doesn't work, who's our second string? Other people, right? Maybe we have those people who we depend on to bail us out from time to time. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's people in our family. Maybe it's those really close friendships that we have. Maybe it's, maybe it's church. Maybe it's Pastor Tim. Maybe it's a program or, or an activity that, that we do that involves other people if we can't figure it out on our own our next option is to go to other people and try to get their help and sometimes that works but then when that doesn't work we try to fix it ourselves, and it doesn't work and we go to other people to try to get their help to fix it and that doesn't work then what do we do we start praying then And we start talking to Jesus. And we tell Jesus all the things that we've done to try to fix it. All the people that we've talked to and tried to get help from to try to help us conquer whatever we're trying to conquer. And since none of those have worked out so far, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I'm afraid that we've made Jesus third. Isn't that weird that that's what we do? Because if we, if the songs we've been singing all morning long, if we really believed them, Jesus wouldn't be third string. If we really believed what Colossians 1 says about Jesus, maybe we wouldn't put him off so often. Why do we feel, uh, and the question that God just had to beat over my head in preparing this is, why do we feel okay that we can operate as people most of the time on our day-to-day lives without even considering or going to or relying on the power of Jesus in us. Because that's what we do, and most of the time we're okay with it. We're okay with relying on ourselves. We're okay with relying on other people. And then when all that doesn't work out, then we come to Jesus, and somehow we fooled ourselves into thinking that's okay. Go back to... 
I want to take you back to Colossians 1, and there's a verse in there that, that is the pivot of everything that we've talked about this morning. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything, he might have the supremacy. Let me break that down to you in game terms. Jesus is not third string. Jesus is not second string. Jesus is not first string. Jesus is not the referee. Jesus is not the coach. Jesus is the game. He is not a player that we pull off the bench when we need him in a really tough situation and he pulls us through. Jesus is not Peyton Manning. Jesus is the game. He is all of it. But yet we put him on the bench and we come to him only when all of our other options have run out. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. My goal this morning has been really simple. And it's, I've had one goal. And that is to remind us, including myself, of who Jesus really is. And the truth that I think God wants to challenge us with this morning. Is that there is no other place for Jesus in our lives than in the front of everything. At the top of everything, and we have got somehow as people of the kingdom, we have got to get to the point where we are not okay with Jesus having any other place in our life other than the top. And if we've not determined to give Jesus the supremacy in every area of our life, then we really don't know who Jesus is. We don't understand Colossians 1. So some of us here this morning probably have a lot of needs. Who are you depending on to meet them? Are you still trying to fix it yourself? Are you still relying on other people so much that they become the excuse for why you don't have what you need? The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, where have I put Jesus? And if it's anywhere other than at the head of the line in every area of our life, the scriptures and the nature of Jesus himself calls us to repent. And you may be asking, well, I understand that, Eric. You've made that clear this morning, but I don't know how to do that. I've tried that before, and, I, and for some reason it hasn't worked. Well, if you're an unbeliever this morning and you've never embraced the gospel... It starts by knowing that the cross was for you and all of your own failures to make yourself acceptable to God were made up for when Jesus hung on the cross, bled his own blood, and said, it is finished. And the scripture says, if you believe and exchange all of your hopeless effort for what Jesus did on the cross for you, that you'll be saved. That that you can't do for yourself will be done for you, and it will be done completely. But for the believer, you, you may say, well, Eric, I know that I'm saved, but I keep slipping back 
to the front of the line. I, keep, I know Jesus is supposed to be the head of everything in my life, but I keep slipping to the front and cutting in front of him, and he keeps moving back, and, and, and then I'll realize it, and I'll put him back to the front, and then he keeps slipping for, back further and further, and that just keeps happening, and I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. Well, my question to you is, why don't you just confess that to Jesus again? Why not come before him again and confess that you've cut in front of the line? You've taken his place, or you've put other people in his place, and you've not allowed him to be the top priority. And you want to change that. I mean, what other option do you have? Are you just going to walk out and continue to live your life the way you are when you came in? And I know what some of you are probably thinking. Well, I get it. I understand. And you're going to walk out these doors and you're going to say, you know what, I'm not going to let that happen anymore, God. I'm going to do better, God. I'm going to make sure I put you at the front of everything. You know what you're doing? You're just relying on yourself again. You've missed the whole point. Why don't you, why don't you come to the altar, kneel in your seat and confess to him that you can't be the line leader anymore that you don't have the power and ask him instead of saying God I'm going to give you first place why don't you ask him to take it he doesn't need you to give him upsies in the line so that he can get to the front you tell him where you want him to be and say God take first place in my life Move me back. And if you're here this morning and you're hurting and you have a need, he's strong enough to meet it. The first step, if you're here this morning and you think, I do, I want to give Jesus first place. I want him to be supreme in my life and everything. The first, the first step to doing that is whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and whatever He is moving you to do, do it. If you really say, if I really say that I want Jesus to be first in everything and the Holy Spirit is moving on me to, to come to the altar and pray about something or, or, or give my life over to Him or whatever He may be leading you to do, whatever circumstance in your life that you've been holding on to control of and, and you need him to come in. The, the, the first step to making him first place is just to simply listen to the Spirit and do it. Quit second guessing him. The truth is there's only one person that can rescue you. There's only one person that can rescue me. He's got to be the hero. He's got to be the rescuer. Because we can't.